Welcome to the River Life Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you will encounter Jesus and allow His words to wash you anew. May He reveal more of who He is to your heart. Here's the message for this week. It is my privilege to introduce a new sermon series called Worship at Work. How many of us know that what you do on Monday is equally sacred as what you do on Sunday? And as a spiritual family, we are called to reveal Jesus wherever we are, especially in the workplace, so that kingdom transformation can take place. Most of us spend the majority of our waking hours at work, right? regardless of what we do for a living. And God sees our work as sacred. Our whole life is worship unto God and by extension, the call to offer ourselves as living sacrifices must include how we live in the workplace. So this sermon series will help to address the misconception that church work is more spiritual than work done in the marketplace, which is not true, and get ready for God to reveal the significance of our work, orientate our hearts towards Him as we work and enable us to bring kingdom transformation to our workplace. So let's welcome our brother Chen Singh who will be giving us this word uh, for today and it will be a three-part series. Let's welcome Brother Chen Sing. Hey, morning church. <coughs> morning church. Uh, can you turn to your neighbor and say it's so good to see you? Like what Elder Young said, uh, today we're starting a new sermon series titled Worship and Work and this is a continuation of our Rebuilding the Altar series. Um, Altars are the meeting place between God and man, and in the months of July and August, well, it's already October already, yeah. uh, in the months of July and August, we talked about rebuilding our personal and corporate altars. And so in the next three weeks, we will explore what it means to rebuild the altars of worship at our workplace. You know, our faith is not just lived out on Sundays in a church setting, but it's also lived out in the marketplace. There is no divide between sacred and secular. We are disciples of Christ, not just on Sunday, not just today, but also on Mondays to Fridays. Just as our church services right now here and our cell meetings are holy ground, our workplaces are also meant to be set apart for God. Therefore, in this series, we would like to establish a biblical view of work and how we can live out our faith and worship God through our work. Now, this series will be broken up into three parts. Um, today, um, we'll talk about the theology of work. Next week, the idolatry of work. And the week after next, the testimony of work. Now, each part is connected to the next. And we should look at this series as a whole and not just in isolation. So today, when we talk about the theology of work and we establish the fundamental goodness of work, um, it should be seen in connection to next week about the brokenness of work, right? And next week, we'll be addressing the reality that work is burdensome and full of thorns and thistles. And many of us experience this in the workplace and it's challenging for us sometimes to see the goodness of work, which is what we'll be establishing this week. And then finally, on the last week, as we hold this tension between the goodness of work and the brokenness of work, we also understand that our workplaces are our place of testimony and we are called to be sought and light there. 
Shall we commit this time to God in prayer? Lord, I ask, um, even right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you into this place. And I ask that you begin to uh, open up our minds to your word. I pray that whatever preconceived notions we might have about work, uh, we would learn to submit it to you. And we ask this day that we would be good soil for the word of God to be sown into so that our lives can bear fruit for you. We pray all this in Christ's most precious name. Amen. Amen. The theology of work. Now, there's this story told by Timothy Keller, uh, which was taken from a book called After Virtue. Okay, in this book, right, the author asks his reader to imagine that you are standing in a bus stop. So imagine yourself standing in a bus stop now, and there is a young man who you do not know. He comes up to you. So you're in a bus stop, and a young man who you do not know comes up to you and says, the name of a common wild duck is histrionicus, histrionicus, histrionicus. Now, even though you understand the sentence, you know what he said, his words made no sense to you because you do not know what it means. The only way to make sense of this is to put it in the context, to put it into a story. So here are three options. Number one, you can say that the young man is mentally ill. That will explain why a man whom you have never met tells you the Latin name of the common wild duck. Maybe because he is mentally ill. That's a story that would make sense of what has just happened. So that's the first option. The second possibility is that this young man met someone in the library yesterday who looked just like you. And this person asked him what the Latin name of the common wild duck is. And so today, he had mistaken you for that person in the library. That is why he came up to you in the bus stop and said, Oh yes, the name of the common wild duck in Latin is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus. Now here's another possibility. It is possible that this young man is a foreign spy waiting at a pre-arranged rendezvous and uttering this sentence which will identify him to his contact. The code word for this is, the name of the common wild duck is Histrionicus, Histrionicus, Histrionicus. This will make sense too, right? So here we have three different stories. The mentally ill young man, the young man who met someone who looked like you yesterday, and the young man who is a foreign spy. And what you are going to do depends on which story you put yourself in. So if it's the mentally ill person, you can maybe simply ignore him or call a mental institution for help. If it's the foreign spy, you could kill him, or after he has left, report him to the authorities. So what you choose to do eventually will be based on the story you place yourself in. Your work will make no sense to you unless you place it into some kind of a story, some kind of a narrative. So what is the story of your work? Our society has provided a few cultural narratives for us to put our work into a certain kind of a story. I'll give you four options, four narratives that society has provided. Number one, work as a means to an end. 
Its only value is to provide income and bring food to the table. Now, if this is the predominant story you locate your work in, one of the most important factors in your choice of work is the amount of money it brings. You work harder, you work longer hours so that you can get promoted and get more income. Work is about money, nothing else. So the first narrative, work as a means to an end. Number two, work is a necessary evil. I work so that I can look forward to the weekend. Here, work has no intrinsic value or meaning. Meaning is only found in what you can do during your leisure time. So you feel that you are only living your life when the weekend comes. TGIF. This has also given rise to the FIRE movement, right? Financial independence, retire early, where the goal of life is to get away from work so you can do anything you want. The third option, the third narrative, the third story that our culture gives us, work as self-actualization or self-fulfillment. I find my worth or my identity in my work. We will touch and expand on this worldview a lot more next week. It's one of the idols that we have. But the essence of it is that the meaning for, for my work comes from myself. And this is independent from the meaning God gives it. Another dimension of this worldview is that my work gives my life ultimate meaning and fulfillment independent from a relationship with God. So that's the third narrative. Work as self fulfillment. The fourth narrative, secular work has value to the degree that it supports sacred work. Secular work has value to the degree it supports sacred work. I work on Monday to Friday so that I have income, so that I can do church ministry on Saturday and Sunday. Here it implicitly states that the work pastors and church workers do have more value in the kingdom of God than what an accountant or engineer do. Therefore, where I am in my workplace, I'm just trying to make a living. In church, I'm doing God's work. So here are four narratives, four storylines that culture might come up with. Work as a means to an end. Its only value is to provide income and bring food to the table. Number two, work as a necessary evil. I work so that I can look forward to the weekend. Number three, work as self-fulfillment, self-actualization. I find my worth and identity in my work. Four, sacred work has value to the degree it supports. No, secular work has value to the degree it supports sacred work. Now, I'm sure we can all relate to some of these narratives. We understand the difficulty of work and the challenges of living in a high-cost society like Singapore. But if we are to take a step back and ask ourselves, what is the biblical narrative for our work? What will our answer be? How does my work fit into the story of the Bible? Is the Bible just lift out here on church on Sunday when we sing songs to God? Now, I'd like to propose that the biblical story for our work is creation for redemption and restoration. And this will be the main framework, the main storyline for the remainder of our series. Now, I've divided my message today into two parts. The first part, we will establish a theology of work, tracing out this narrative of creation for redemption and restoration. In the second part, we will look at 
Colossians 3, 22-24 and draw two practical applications. But first, to the theology of work. Uh, can I invite us to stand as we turn to Genesis 1, verses 26-28. to Genesis 1, verse 26-28. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Genesis 2, verse 8 and 15. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. You may take a seat. So what we see here in Genesis 1 and 2 is that in the original creation, God made man to work. We will notice that Genesis does not present God's creation as a finished product where everything is handed over to man to keep it exactly as how it is first made. You know, he didn't create the world and hand it over to man and say, okay, just don't screw this up, okay? Just keep it as it is. Don't need to multiply it. Don't need to tan it. Don't need to do anything. Just don't screw it up, all right? God didn't say that. When God passed it over to man, he commanded us to rule over the fish and the birds and to subdue it, to cross it, to prosper. From God's perspective, the world needs work. It needs to be filled, to be ruled over, to be subdued, to be placed in order. And God has appointed man to do this important work. So God worked for six days. He created the world out of nothing. And on the sixth day, He created man. And on that day, He gave a mandate to man the creation mandate to take what has been created and cause it to prosper. You will notice that even in perfect creation, there is work to be done. This means that work has always been part of God's perfect creation. Work didn't come as a result of the fall. In a sinless and perfect world, Work is part of God's original design. Work is purposed to be good, to be fulfilling, to be meaningful. It was the way we have dominion over God's creation, multiply it and cause it to be fruitful. You know, as humans, we innately feel it too. A man will start to feel miserable if he stopped working for a prolonged period of time. This testifies to our innate disposition to work and to create value. You know, in prisons, right, um, to be given work is a reward. You are given work as a form of reward. 
Um, I remember when I first graduated um, from university and I thought, okay, I take some time to, to, uh, to, to, to relax a bit. So the amount of resumes I sent out, maybe three or four. And after one, two months, nothing come back. Well, I start to panic, send five or ten, uh, what, five or ten. Then nothing come back after three, four months. Well, I, I just sent 50 over resumes. Whoever can give me work, I'll take it. Innately, as time went by, I felt miserable not being able to work. Innately, we know that we were meant and created to work. So the first point of my message is this. Work is good and it is part of God's perfect design for us. But then the fall happened. Part two, stage two. The fall happened. Sin came into the world and work became burdensome. The thorns and thistles came. Genesis 3, verse 17 to 19 says, To Adam, he said, Because you have listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Therefore, curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the few. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For thus you are, and to dust you will return. Because of the fall, Scripture says, work will now become burdensome. Our work will now be filled with thorns and thistles, and it will be by the sweat of our brow, through hard work and labour, that we will toil through our work. Now, on a micro level, we are all acquainted with the effects of sin in our workplace, right? From unreasonable bosses to selfish colleagues. Work is difficult because we work, we work with fallen people. We ourselves are also fallen. We ourselves are also selfish. We ourselves are also impatient. And we ourselves can also be difficult to work with. Now, on a more micro level, on a more macro level, on a more macro level, we see how the system of this world is also corrupted. Now, in many developing countries, third world nations, the dignity of work has been stripped away. Many factory workers in these countries are tasked to do a singular mundane job for 10 hours a day, whether that's sewing one single button for the next 10 hours every single day for the next many months or doing a repetitive task that requires no human creativity or intellect. Work has become subhuman in many of such places. Production efficiency, right, the bottom line, and thus corporate profits are more important than the dignity of work. In such places, it's hard to say that work is God's original design. The effects of sin has corrupted work and has taken away the dignity of work. The second point of God's storyline is this. Work is not a curse. The taunts and thistles of work is the curse. Work is not the curse. The taunts and thistles of work is the curse. Number three, redemption. But because of what Jesus had done on the cross as believers, we are now released from the dominion of sin. Romans 6, 18-23 tells us that. This should transform the way we work. 
you know, the character that we carry in our workplace, the motivation for our work, the purpose of our work, all these should carry a redemptive nature. As God's people, we should live out kingdom values in our workplaces. Though um, the corruption of sin is present, the restoration of God's kingdom in this world can begin with us in our workplaces. And this, this leads us to the final stage, restoration. The restoration of creation. Revelations 21 verse 1 to 5. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. He wiped away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. The direction of humanity is heading towards this end, the new heaven and new earth. This is the climax of our story. At the end of history, we are not going up to heaven. Heaven is coming down to earth. Earth will be made new again. Eden will be restored. Genesis 1 and 2 will be restored. And the key point I want to make here is this. In heaven, there will still be work. You know, my wife often asks me, what do you think we'll be doing in heaven? The only thing I see in Revelations is we'll be surrounding the throne, the throne of God and worshipping God for eternity. I think there's a place for that. I think we'll be worshipping God throughout eternity. But I do not think that we will just be lazing around in heaven. I believe we will still be working in heaven. We are, we are created in God's image and God is a creator and He's a worker. Therefore, I believe we will be working with God in this restored world. I do not believe we will be mindless creatures doing nothing but lazing around. I believe we will still be learning about this world that God has created. This world will still be interesting for us. We will still be building things, creating things in this restored world. Of course, some work will be made redundant. I think doctors, lawyers, dentists might be out of work. But they'll be given new assignments in heaven. You know, through the Industrial Revolution, work, um, some work will be made redundant. Next up, the AI Revolution, some work will be made redundant. I think the biggest revolution will be the Heavenly Revolution, where some work will be made redundant, but there'll be many more jobs created because we no longer have to go through the thorns and thistles. We no longer have to go through the sweat of our brow to grow food. We will all still be working in heaven, but this time round, without the thorns and thistles. Work will no longer be toilsome. Sin and its effects will be no longer present. There will be no more selfishness, no more greed, no more politics, no more corruption. Work will be enjoyable, fulfilling and life-giving. This is the original vision of work and this is the Bible's storyline for our work. So tomorrow when you return back to office and the culture pushes the narrative 
that work is primarily a means to more money, that the purpose of our work is to get a bigger paycheck. As believers, we are to remind ourselves that our storyline is creation. We are created to work. Work is good and work is honourable, but the fall has happened and therefore work is toilsome and the effects of sin is taking place. So work is good, but work is also difficult. But as God's redeemed people, we have been set free from the dominion of sin and we can begin to live out the restored world that is coming in. And we know that restoration is coming back and we can look forward to work being enjoyable and life-giving again. This is our narrative and we are to remind ourselves of that and to let our work derive its meaning and purpose from this storyline. We work because it is God's mandate to us. Yes, the paycheck is important. Yes, promotions are helpful. But all these are byproducts of our primary understanding of work. That through our work, we obey and fulfill God's mandate to us to steward His creation and bring it into order. You know, mathematics and science are part of God's creation. And God has introduced these laws and equations for nature to work. As an engineer, when you apply math and science into a useful application that helps society, you are fulfilling the creation mandate. And this pleases God. Your work has become your worship to God. As a taxi driver, you help people get to their place of work, to family gatherings. What you do is important. And when you do it well, it pleases God. As a homemaker, as a stay-at-home mom, you know, being a parent now, I have the utmost admiration for stay-at-home moms. As a stay-at-home mom, even though you are not getting a salary from any company, what you are doing is also work. Important and meaningful work. When you tidy up the house or clean up the mess that your kids just made, you are stewarding God's creation in the most practical manner. And God is pleased with that. As an accountant, an, an economy which is governed by capital flows, what you do is essential because the world will be in chaos if there's no proper accounting. What you do is good. When you do good work, there is order and accountability in our economy. And this brings glory to God. Work is part of God's original design. And when we do good work, it becomes part of our worship to God. We work because it is God's mandate for us. This is our storyline. Before I bring the message to a close, I'd like to draw out two practical points, application points for us. Number one, our work becomes our worship when it is done unto the Lord. Our work becomes our worship when it is done unto the Lord. Colossians 3, verse 22, 24, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you and to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. In verse 22, it clearly tells us 
that the context for this passage is marketplace work. Slaves obey your earthly masters. Slaves obey your earthly masters. Now, slaves are an important part of the Roman economy. And so the context of here is the marketplace. It's not a church setting. And actually, many of the slaves back then, they actually worked under quite reasonable conditions. And in this setting, Paul teaches the church in Colossae to do their marketplace work, not only to please their earthly masters, but also out of reverence for the Lord. It further states in verse 23 that when we do our work, we are working for the Lord, not for human masters. It is the Lord Christ we are serving. Now, what does it mean to be working for the Lord? How does my job as a supply chain executive translate to working for the Lord? Clearly, it is my company who pays my salary. I am clearly working for my boss and for my company. Yes, that is true. And Scripture teaches us to obey our earthly masters in everything that we do. So it is true that you're working for your boss and for your company and they are the one who pays you your salary. And in, within this context, Scripture teaches us to obey our earthly masters. But this is not the full story. When we work, we need to remember the bigger storyline that we are participating in the creation mandate. And when our work begins to embrace and adopt this narrative, what we do as supply chain executives where we help facilitate the movement of cargo or raw materials so that the manufacture and production of different goods and services can take place, this becomes part of how humanity can now take care of the garden. And even though we might not feel it, we must remember that, we, that the work that we do in the marketplace pleases the Lord. Most work play a part in stewarding creation and helping human society flourish. Therefore, the work we do pleases God because that was what He placed us in the garden to do. At the same time, all work will carry some elements of the fall, whether that's because our culture is corrupted or the work that we do is eventually abused by the end user. How this plays out will have countless permutations and we will all have to wrestle through it. Nevertheless, this does not negate the intrinsic goodness of honest work. Now, one of the central messages that I want to point out today is this. That, the work in, uh, that our work in the marketplace, which includes all homemakers, is intrinsically good. What this means that is that even if no one gets saved through our evangelistic efforts in the marketplace, or no money um, from our work is channeled towards mission, the work we do in and of itself has value and this work is pleasing to God. Now, of course, sharing our faith in the marketplace is important. It's part of the Great Commission. Of course, the money that we earn that is channeled towards mission is crucial. And that is something we can all do more of. But before all of that, we need to understand that the work we do pleases God. And that is why we can do this unto the Lord. That is why we can work as working for the Lord and not for human masters. 
And this will set the foundation for our testimony at work. You know, because we are all created in God's image, both Christians and non-Christians, we all innately respond and appreciate excellent work when it's done. This will set the context for our testimony at work. As believers who have embraced the gospel narrative of creation for redemption and restoration, we must remember that all work is ultimately unto God. All of us, when we work, Colossians 3 verse 24 tells us, that it is the Lord Christ we are serving. Our work becomes our worship when it is done unto the Lord. Number two, our work becomes our worship when it is done with kingdom values. Verse 23 to 24, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. In verse 24, Scripture tells us that it is the Lord we are serving. This means that God is our ultimate master and the way we do our work should be aligned to His value system, the value system of God's kingdom. Now here's three practical ways this is expressed. Number one, we live out kingdom values at our workplace. Living out kingdom values at our workplace. Kindness to others. Integrity in our business dealings being impartial in our treatment of subordinates, learning to place others before ourselves, being patient towards those who are new, taking time to help those who are in need. I know I might be describing an angel. Um, I don't think any of us could. We have our own work to do, right? We've got time to do all, do all these things. Um, um, but I know it's not easy to do, but with the help of the Holy Spirit and the daily renewal of our lives, I believe bit by bit this is possible. So that's the first practical way we can express kingdom values in our workplace. Number two, and this will apply to those who have a degree of influence in our workplace. I understand there will be a spectrum among us. Some of us in middle or senior management, um, some with a department of five to lead, um, some with a company of 30 to manage. Regardless, as people leaders, we can lead our team with kingdom values. The decisions that we make, the examples that we model, all this can have a positive and godly influence in our team. And I know we function in a system where politics exists. Nobody cares for kingdom values in the marketplace. Everybody cares for the bottom line. And because we are functioning in such a system that is under the influence of the four, we will need God's wisdom. We need to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as, as, and as, innocent as dove. But in all of this, let's practice leadership with kingdom values. And lastly, verse 23 tells us that we are to do our work with all of our hearts because we are working for the Lord. We are to give our very best at our workplace. Now, I fully understand the nuances of the modern workplace where there is a tendency towards overwork. There was one time my wife came in early uh, uh, for, for work uh, in office, come, come in about eight-ish, and then wanted to leave work a little bit earlier to go take care of the kids. So when she knocked off at six, her colleague uh, looked at her, half-jokingly say, wow, today half day. Uh. Uh, 
So there is this sense that, hey, nobody knocks off at 6 o'clock. And I understand there is this tendency towards overwork because of the pressure of the work culture or even perhaps because of our own ambition. And these challenges will be addressed in next week's message. So I know that there is a tendency towards overwork. Nevertheless, verse 23 reminds us that God desires us to do our work excellently with all of our heart because we are working for Him. You know, recently there is this phenomenon called quiet quitting which has surfaced into our conversations about the workplace. Now for those, how many of you are aware of this thing called quiet quitting? Okay, for those of you who are unaware, um, uh, quiet quitting happens when a worker, when an employee stops going over and beyond in his or her work and just do the bare minimum that's required of him. You know, you go to the McDonald's counter, what you want, ah? Okay, nah. Yeah, just, just, just get the food on the table and just get out of my face kind of thing, right? Uh, I understand that this movement is responding to the unhealthy culture of overwork and it seeks to, pretend, uh, to protect the mental health of those affected. Now, there is a place for this and we need to have healthy boundaries when it comes to work. But if quiet quitting also means that we are not engaged in our work, and we have no desire to do good work and work just enough so that we do not get fired. You know, performance appraiser, you give me great C's, okay, just don't fire me. I don't need grade A, grade B, just grade C, I'm happy. Try to motivate you also, never mind, it's okay. I can be a lousy performer, I, it's okay. If that is our posture, I believe this is wrong and this is not biblical. It is the Lord Christ. We are serving. That is our narrative. And thus, we should do our work with all of our hearts. If you are a cook at a restaurant, you know what's the most spiritual thing you can do? You can pray at work and all these things. But one of the most spiritual things you can do is to cook the best plate of food you can consistently. Don't just cook something edible. Cook something delicious. That is one of the most Christian things you can do. If you are an engineer, the most, Christian do, the most Christian thing you can do is to practice good engineering. You know, don't just come up with solutions that cause a bomb. Think of creative solutions in the most cost-efficient way. That is a Christian thing you can do. If you are a pilot, fly the plane excellently. You don't have to pray when, okay, yes, you can pray when you're flying, but just fly the plane excellently. You will know, you can speak to my wife, you know, when the plane takes off, my whole palm gets sweaty. I have a fear of flying. When turbulence comes, I start to speak in tongues. <laughs> so if you're a pilot, fly the plane excellently and try to avoid as many pockets of turbulence as you can. I know you have technology now, they can tell the weather and which kind of where can find where got the words? I tolong you. Just fly the plane smoothly. In all that we do, whether you're an engineer, an accountant, uh, a sales executive, whatever you do, an IT consultant, do it excellently. Do it with kingdom values and do it unto the Lord. Our work can become our worship to God when it, when we do it unto God and when we do it with kingdom values. Church, we have been all created to work. 
Work is not just a means to an end. Work is not a necessary evil. Work is not just for our self-fulfillment. Work is unto the Lord, and when we do it unto Him, it is our worship to Him. So tomorrow, when you go back to your workplace, let's go back with a renewed sense of God's commission. You are working not just for your earthly masters, but you are also working for your heavenly Father. Can I invite us to stand? I'd like to pray for us and release God's word and exaltation over us. Can I invite us to raise our hands as I pray over you? I'd like to pray Colossians 3, verse 22 to 24 over you. River Life Church, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Honour your bosses. Make your bosses look good. Serve your bosses. In everything that you do, obey your earthly masters. But do it not only when their eye is on you to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Do your work with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, whether that's a task you're excited about or a task that you don't look forward to doing, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. River Life Church, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. So Lord, this day, we take the work that we do, whether we are engineers of sales, executives, whether we are in finance or we are in um, 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 the, the, the IT sector, in, in technology, um, whatever work that we do, whether we are in marketing, uh, whether we are in social work, whether we are teachers, lawyers or doctors, Lord, we take our work and we remember, Lord, that we don't work based on the cultural narrative. Work is not just a means for income. Work is not a necessary evil, but work is God's mandate for us. And as disciples of Christ, that is the narrative that we embrace and that is the narrative that we adopt. We are working for our heavenly master. You are the God that we serve in the work that we do. And so this day, we take the work that we do and we offer it up to you as worship. God, we ask that you will be pleased with, with the work that we do. Yeah, so we thank you and we commit our work and our hearts to you. In Jesus' most precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't we give God a big praise offering? Uh, let's just worship the Lord with this song um, and commit our hearts and lives to Him. Shall we do that? Lord, we give your hearts. This is my desire. My desire to honor you, Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. 
You know, brothers and sisters, what really touched me about today's message is that work is worship. Work is worship unto the Lord. So no doubt that some of us could be having a difficult time. Some of us could even be the victim of office politics or even injustice at work. I just want to encourage us. I just want to encourage us to take that challenge, to go into our workplace with the presence of God, with the anointing of God, with the protection of God. And I just want to bless all of us here. Would you all lift up your hands and receive the anointing, the protection, the empowerment of the Lord in your workplace. Father, I just thank you because work is sacred. Work is worship. And I thank you for each and every one of us here for the work that you have given us. Lord, that God, you are called. You have called us to be the head and not the tail. You give us your blessing and your mandate to be fruitful and multiply. So we pray, Lord God, we receive your empowerment, your anointing, your word to us. And even as we work with an excellent spirit, God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you help us, Lord Father, to bring redemption and restoration to our workplace. We receive your empowerment. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's receive the Lord's benediction together. Shall we do that? And the love of our God, the Father, Lord, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the empowerment and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you as we part today until we meet again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a big hand. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Brother Chen Singh, for the message. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the River Life Podcast. We hope that you've encountered Jesus through the Word. If you'd like to connect with community or find out more about River Life Church, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or head on over to riverlife.org.sg. God bless and have a great week ahead.